Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host, Chris Arnold of 105.3 The Fan. Thanks for joining us. And this morning, we're going to start the show with a couple important first responders. I'm going to speak with Deputy Chief Christopher Martinez of the Dallas Fire Department and Senior Corporal Brian Martinez of the Dallas Police Department Media Relations. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing this morning? Hey, we're doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Chief, let's start off with you. This is a holiday weekend. A lot of people in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, North Texas, celebrating the 4th of July holiday. Can you talk about the campaign for Safety First on the 4th? Well, Dallas Fire Rescue... One of the things we always want to emphasize every year at this time and also on New Year's Eve is that fireworks in the city of Dallas are prohibited, consumer fireworks. And professional shows are what we always recommend uh, to leave it to the professionals, essentially, because there's a lot of inherent dangers with using consumer fireworks. Uh, It does look like it's a lot of fun to people when they see this, but there's a lot of injuries and a lot of things that can occur, accidental fires and, and, and property damage that can result from the use of consumer fireworks. So it's one of the things we always want to emphasize to everyone is to leave it to the professionals. Leave it to the professionals, spoken by a professional. That's Deputy Chief Christopher Martinez. Can I call you Chris? Yes, sir. Excellent. And Brian Martinez, Senior Corporal Officer Brian Martinez of the Dallas Police Department. Like I said, I, I love the way you guys are trying to get ahead of this and let people understand that there's some safety that you must keep in mind when you, you celebrate the 4th of July, especially in the state of Texas. Brian? Absolutely. And I just want to piggyback on what uh, Chief Martinez said. Um, We want to let everybody know that, you know, a simple way to remember is if it's going in the air, it's illegal. Keep Keep it that in mind. And any firework in Dallas is illegal, even if you have it on you. Um, the penalty is up to $2,000 fine, as well as the confiscation of fireworks. So it really isn't worth it. So I just want to reiterate to everybody in the city of Dallas, don't have fireworks. Okay, Brian, let's go ahead and go there. I'm going to go there now. Sure. You know this is Texas. And uh, outside of, of the city limits, there's so many fireworks stops along the highways, and people want to pick up some fireworks and maybe shoot some uh, Roman candles or shoot some firecrackers, some black cats. What do you say to those who are getting their stuff outside and want to bring it into the city limits? Of course, if you're going to purchase those, make sure you're not in Dallas, okay, and driving around through Dallas. Because mm-hmm. like I said earlier, there is a fine with that. And we want to be sure everyone's safe and has a happy, safe 4th of July. And those fireworks can cause damage to other people's properties, or in worst scenarios, it can cause a fire. So please, 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 I want to reiterate, I know you guys, and I know everybody likes to purchase fireworks, but please understand that in Dallas, that is illegal. That's right. It's it's called there's a lot more people in Dallas than out in the countryside. It's just that simple. Chief Martinez, Chris, can you talk about the kinds of phone calls you guys get? The uh, I guess it's the 911 or the fire because uh, somebody's stray fireworks has started a blaze somewhere. Can you can you give us some 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 maybe some stories from the past? Well, you know, we, we get a number of calls on, on the 4th of July, as you would imagine. Uh, 911 does get inundated with different calls. And, and those calls can range anything from someone just reporting seeing fireworks being used maybe on the street corner to seeing actual uh, fires that have been initiated from fireworks. And it's, it's, a, it's a large amount of pressure that gets put on 911. And one of the things we always want to emphasize is that, 311 and the non-emergency number for the city of Dallas, 214-744-4444, is a good number to be able to call if you actually are seeing fireworks being used and you don't believe that there's an immediate danger as far as uh, a fire starting, essentially. Um, And 
when those calls come in, like I said, they're, they're, they're range from a number of different types of emergencies related to fireworks. But uh, 911 does get a lot of calls related to accidental fires and, and injuries. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of injuries that do occur this time of year, a lot of times to the hands, to the face. Uh, from people trying to initiate these fireworks because it's something that unfortunately doesn't always get done in the safest manner, and we do see an increase in injuries. You mentioned the injuries in the sports world a few years ago. A famous defensive end from the New York Giants accidentally blew a couple of his fingers off holding some fireworks. Absolutely. You don't want that to happen to you or your family members, right? Of course, we don't want that to happen to anybody. Brian, could you talk about maybe some of the – situations where people hear explosives in their neighborhood they might think it's guns absolutely so just like uh, chief martinez said um fourth of july even dallas police officers we are we have hundreds hundreds of calls of fireworks and possible random gunfire and a lot of times no one can really i guess tell the difference between which one is which so if they typically see a firework and then hear a sound, they're going to call a firework. But for the most part, they come as fireworks. But sometimes, like I said earlier, it could be random gunfire. And let everyone know that, you know, we, we don't allow any random gunfire in the city of Dallas as well. Everyone needs to know, you know, any random gunfire in the city limits can result in a $4,000 fine. And it's a Class A misdemeanor, you know, and even up to a year in jail. So please, please refrain from, you know, um, firing those firearms in the air. I mean, they shouldn't be doing it anywhere, really. So um, please stop that. Have you noticed, I noticed this, that people like to shoot their guns off on New Year's Eve and on the 4th of July? Do you just say, okay, I'm just going to shoot it in the air. It's no big problem. I'm just going to shoot it straight up. I mean, am I wrong on this, Brian? No, no. I mean, so New Year's Eve, 4th of July, we tend to get, you know, those calls come out of er- come out of everywhere regarding ram gunfire and again i don't know why i mean it could be a cultural thing um we mm-hmm. have tons texas. Of officers yeah of course texas so we have tons of officers and units trying to educate the public and even children let them know hey you know this is not legal in our city limits or anywhere really and especially with the price of ammo i'm surprised why people continue to do that and and chief martinez i want to ask you this because i know the fire departments all over dallas get these calls The pets are going crazy because of the fireworks. And I'm only bringing this up because not that you're a pet expert, but I'm sure your phones have rung off the walls with people saying all the animals are going crazy because of the explosive sounds, not just gunfire, but fireworks. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that's a very good point to bring up that, you know, obviously there's a lot of, of, you know, from animals to people that have, um, you know, conditions sometimes where it would be very detrimental to hear those noises, you know, as people that uh, could have PTSD, different mm-hmm. things like that. I mean, it's something oh, that's yeah. always a concern. And, again, we get a, a range of calls, and it's always something we want to make sure that people are aware of, that when those fireworks are going off, that it might seem like a, a fun thing, but that there's people that are being affected. And like you said, there's also pets that are getting affected, and, and it just has a lot of different collateral effects sometimes. Hey, Chief Martinez, could you – Tell us a story of maybe one of the, the bigger incidents that occurred on a 4th of July or New Year's Eve because of fireworks that you guys had to take care of. Well, uh, part of my career has been as an investigator, and I've worked uh, several fires. Unfortunately, you know, it, it's almost hard to go back and pick a particular fire, but we have seen fires before that uh, people have had their home accidentally uh, set on fire, their apartments accidentally set on fire by fireworks in the area and unfortunately you know we talk about the injuries of course and and we have worked injuries that uh really sad cases where people have gotten injured and and it's it's significant injuries that affect them down the line into their life you know for years because Mm -hmm. of fireworks and and this is something that you know when we think about these i know Officer Martinez can talk about it, too. You know, you, you think of all these different incidents that you've had that you've seen where people have been negatively affected by it, and that's why you always want to make sure that, you know, uh, we're doing everything we can to make sure we're getting that message out. And the first responders, a lot of times, uh, you know, have sometimes been affected by this, too, as far as trying to answer calls. And it has happened before where fireworks have been uh initiated in the vicinity of the first responders while they're trying to do their job. We've had that happen in the past. We've had some of our firefighters that have actually been hit with some of the fireworks while they're in the process of just trying to do their job. So it's, 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 again, it's a message that we try to get out every year. And we want to make sure we emphasize that a, a lot of different people can be hurt uh, by these fireworks. Brian. 
Absolutely. I mean, there are times when I've heard of officers um, experiencing a fireworks shot at that direction. And I mean, just keep in mind, that's insult to a public servant, you know. So if you are caught, you will be charged with that charge. Um, also, think about the vehicle itself. Um, if you get a firework, some firework and it targeting a vehicle and it damages a vehicle, Think about maybe that ambulance or that fire 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 truck or even that police officer now being out of commission. Because mm-hmm. there are tons of vehicles that, you know, sustain that type of damage. And when they are doing so, they're out of commission. And that's just one less fire truck, one less ambulance, one less officer out of the streets. So please, please, I mean, do not target those fireworks at officers or firefighters. We're here to help. We're trying to respond to an emergency. We're talking to Senior Corporal Brian Martinez of the Dallas Police Department and, of course, Deputy Chief uh Christopher Martinez of the Dallas Fire Department. And I also, because we're talking about safety and, and Dallas saying safety first on the 4th, and in fact, all of the first responders in all the areas in North Texas are trying to get the word out because this weekend, all kinds of things could happen and you're trying to negate that from the beginning. So I'm going to actually bring up children because sometimes children get hit with fireworks or children are playing with fireworks and they don't know any better. Can you talk about situations where fireworks and children don't work out? Well, and again, that's a very good point that you bring up because a lot of the injuries that we do see are to children because uh, sometimes there's there's not a supervision there to watch them as they're trying to, to use these fireworks. And just because of the fact that when you're talking about children, um, a, a, a burn or an injury that might affect an adult a particular way is going to be significantly more so for a for a smaller person just because of the of, of the types of you know of what you're dealing with the fireworks and, and having that smaller person there so it, it's a significant thing that we see and the national data does reflect that that you have children that do have a lot of these injuries just because of sometimes they just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, and that is some of what we've seen in the past, some of the injuries that have occurred to children just because they just happen to be, unfortunately, uh, very close to someone who's initiating a firework. And children are so unpredictable. I'm going to give you guys a, a quick story to share with our listeners, a personal story with me. It actually worked out okay, but it was very dangerous. When I was probably about 8 or 10 years old, me and a couple of buddies, we got all these black cats. And we had we, we got a pill bottle, emptied out the pills or just aspirins or whatever, an empty aspirin bottle. And we decided we're going to make a big firecracker. We're going to combine all these black cats powder and then tie the stems together and have a long stem. And so we packed it all in, put in the cotton. And then my sister was taking a shower. So we're outside in the backyard. We put that outside of the window of the bathroom and blew out the window not knowing we had just basically made a mini bomb. So that's an example of how you can't predict children and what they think is dangerous or what might be funny. Brian? Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, we were all children once, and, of course, you know, I experimented the same way when I was a kid over there in California when I was raised. Same exact story, you know, but this time we did it in the toilet, you know, thinking it would be funny. Oh, boy. But, uh, no, it was crazy. But... I just want to reiterate, you know, as children, we are curious, right? They are curious. I have children myself. And, you know, on 4th of July, you have to understand people are out there popping fireworks sometimes illegally. And you want to be sure to monitor your children and let them know you shouldn't be doing that. They are dangerous. You know, stay away from that. So during that holiday, keep a close eye on children, you know, because although you may not be doing it, children tend to wander off, play with their friends sometimes, mm-hmm. next door neighbors. And maybe you may, you know, not allow fireworks in your house, but guess what? Your neighbor is doing it illegally. And if they are, keep an eye on your child, okay? Just because like, just like Chief Martinez said, they are the ones that sustain most of the injuries, or I'm sorry, um, severe injuries. Yeah. So please, please, please watch your children during the holiday, okay? Chief, uh, the Dallas Fire and Rescue Inspectors will be monitoring uh, Mountain Creek Lake and Trammell Crow Park uh, for illegal fireworks um, over the weekend. And they're going to require everyone to leave Mountain Creek Lake by 9 p.m. and Crow Lake Park by 8.30 p.m. Um, Can you talk about, you know, the fireworks or illegal signs and why certain parks around Dallas are like everybody thinks it's open air, I guess, and they think it's okay to do stuff? Well, and a good thing I think we always try to remind everybody is that fireworks are illegal in the city 
in any part of the city. Mm-hmm. And there are certain areas, like you said, there's going to be certain areas that people are, I guess, are more likely to try to go ahead and, and use those fireworks. Sometimes it is in those open areas that sometimes I tend to see a little bit more activity. But uh, that, that is something we always try to emphasize. You know, it, it's illegal throughout because you can never tell, you know, when the conditions might be there to where you might actually have, you know, uh, dry brush, mm-hmm. uh, combustibles around. And, and it's impossible to predict when there's going to be that that perfect scenario where everything comes together, unfortunately, at the wrong time. And then you have that spark. You have that uh, combustible to get initiated. And we have been lucky. We have had rain this week. Um, hopefully that will reduce the danger to a degree. But, again, you can never really tell where that scenario, wherever they're going to be, where there might be something that's going to catch and might get going. Um and another point, you know, we, we just got through talking about the children. One of the most uh, common things I think that people think is that you could actually hand a child a sparkler and then right. that, that's okay. You know, well, sparklers can go up to 1,200 degrees. So when you figure, okay, water can boil at 212 degrees and you think about 1,200 degrees with a sparkler with a child holding that, and that's one of the reasons why we do see common injuries in the children because those sparklers, a lot of times people think that they're, they're, they're innocent. They're not really that big of a risk, but those sparklers by themselves can be a very big danger. I'm glad you brought that up. You said 1,200 degrees. I got a stat here that says the average house fire is 1,100 degrees, so it's much hotter. So family members, anybody within the sound of our voices, safety first on the 4th of July. You mentioned the grass fires. And again, we've been fortunate around here because there's been quite a bit of rain. But still, when I think of grass fires, my mind in the summertime always goes to California and what could possibly happen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I have seen in this area uh, grass fires on the side of highways. And I was like, that was just a cigarette, let alone what a firework might do. Right, Brian? Absolutely. Absolutely. So again, um, fireworks is a huge no. I mean, for, I mean, Chief Martinez can talk more about the whole fire aspect of it, but I mean, we get also individuals who are stopping in the middle of the roadway to watch these fireworks. Right. I understand doing so can cause a severe accident or can cause a blockage, you know, and there are people who need to go to certain places, whether it's emergency or non-emergency. So if you are considering of pulling over, please do not do so on the highway or any street, really, because you are then blocking traffic, and that's illegal, okay? If you want to go to a near parking lot, maybe a gas station or a store, and then maybe see it from there, by all means do so, but please do not stop in the highway. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Brian. Let's, let's continue on that line because that's where I was going next. Uh, people want to see fireworks, and so, like you said, there's a whole lot of people like to pull over to the side of the road, and it can be dangerous, especially if it's at an angle where people aren't expecting it in this normal traffic and let alone kids and families getting out of cars, uh, setting up their, uh, their, their, their chairs, their, their little soccer chairs and whatnot. Can you talk about how people can enjoy the fireworks and the best way to do that other than just pulling off on the side of any road? Absolutely. So, you know, when I worked Fourth of July, I, I firsthand saw, you know, how much traffic can be caused by a firework show. Mm-hmm. And a lot of places, like our neighboring city, Carrollton, that has Kaboom Town over there, right. um, they have many officers, they have many parking lots to help, you know, stop that from happening. And if there is a firework show, please park somewhere where you're allowed to park and you know your car is safe, you know you're safe, you know everyone's safe, and enjoy yourselves. Of course, do that. But refrain from parking on a highway because, I mean, there are individuals who may not even want to watch the fireworks or who aren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And if you're parked on the side of the road with your children, you can cause, like I said, a severe accident. And your 4th of July could end horribly, horribly, horribly. So, again, just don't park on the side of the highways or any road in general. Okay, Look for a safe parking lot if you're going to enjoy. Um, look online for areas that are allowing there you fireworks go. show. And, I mean, I have, a, like, the Kaboom Towns, one I've attended many times, and that's a great one. Um, there are also other events in Dallas. One of them is Fourth of July Picnic that's in the West End Square. Mm-hmm. The Star-Spangled Banner Spectacular with the Dallas Winds at the Myerson Symphony Center. You know, there are tons of, I guess, things and events going on in Dallas that you can easily go online and find to go attend. And um, that's what I would say. If you want to enjoy Fourth of July, do so. And, you know, and if you're grilling out, be very safe about grilling out as well. Please refrain from using your patios, you know. Um, I'm sure Chief Martins can elaborate on that. But, I mean, we get calls like that as well. 
You know what? I'm so glad you went there, too, because that was on my list of things to talk about, Chief. <laughs> uh, Chief, I want you to get ready to comment on this, but i got to set it up by saying one of my favorite Eddie Murphy routines is back in the day, and he went to the barbecue or the cookout at his uncle's house, and that's a fire, and he burned <laughs> up the whole yard. So, <laughs> Chief, Chief, Chief uh, Martinez, can you talk about some of the situations that, where people can be safer with their barbecuing? Because t- barbecuing is a sport in Texas. Absolutely, and like I said, that's that's a great point to bring up because we do see a certain number of fires every year, not just on the 4th of July, Mm -hmm. but in the warmer months where we'll see accidental fires that result from people having cooked out. And and one of the big things we want to make sure everybody understands is you've got to have that grill away from your structure by at least 10 feet. There you go. You've got to get some clearance there because – as we all know, whenever you're cooking, sometimes those flames can kind of get a little higher than you think sometimes. And uh, we have seen it before when the grills are right up against the side of the house, and it's actually caught the house on fire because the flames were able to get high enough, and it actually started touching the house there, and it got going. Um, but one of the other common things is sometimes people will take those discarded coals, you know, after you get oh, done cooking. yeah. And people want to take those coals, and they'll sometimes they'll toss them in the trash or they'll put them. They may leave them out, but they'll put them real close to combustibles, and it doesn't take very long before those can get going. And we've seen fires before, uh, sometimes on uh, in patios, on balconies, where people have actually put uh, the coals on the balconies. Now, that brings me to another point. Uh, ha- using a grill on a balcony in an apartment complex or condominium in the city of Dallas is illegal. Don't do it! Exactly, and storing them on the, the balconies also is against fire code, and, and, and is because we have seen that over the years. We've seen where people have have used those, and they've left the coals out there on the patio, and that started a fire in an apartment complex. It happens quite frequently, so it's a real good point to bring up. And of course, we get right back into that injury topic that we talked about before. We do see significant numbers of injuries, so it's always something just to be careful about, you know, with to make sure people are doing the thing, everything they can do to stay safe with that. Chief, can you give us a rough number of the phone calls or the uh, times that the, the, the fire trucks had to go out to somebody's home because they lost control of their barbecue grill? I don't have specific numbers in front of me, you know, um, mm-hmm. but it is. It's like a lot. It's a common occurrence. It, it is a common occurrence. It's Texas. It's Texas, and every place is not set up to to have a barbecue grill. You might want to go to the barbecue place or the barbecue store or even uh, some of the places that carry some of the better ones, but you've got to have the backyard that can handle it. You don't yeah. need that big old giant grill to show off to your friends and family if your backyard can't handle it, if all those homes you're next to are too close, right? Maybe we Definitely. should leave the barbecuing professionals. <laughs> <laughs> to the pros, the thrill of the grill. But yeah, I, I think that's significant, especially this time of the year. As you mentioned, Chief, as you mentioned, uh, Brian, literally there's so many people that love to grill out, and there's a way to do it, and it's easy to do. All you have to do is go on YouTube to find out what you need to do and what you don't need to do, but also check in uh, on the websites. In fact, DPD has a website and City of Dallas has a website. Brian, can you talk talk about how people can find out more information as they plan ahead? Absolutely. So um, the Dallas Police Department, if you want to simply log on to our website, dallaspolice.net, or even dpdbeat.com, we post tons of blogs with good information on, you know, some safety tips that everyone can take and just reiterating some of the, you know, laws that we have in place, you know, the fines. So if mm-hmm. you definitely want to go online to dpdbeat.com, you can get tons of good information of what's going on within the Dallas Police Department and in the city of Dallas. Also, I like the way you said people should make a plan for watching firework displays or taking the family out somewhere, including planning on where you're going to park and not just assuming you can park on the side of a road because it's highly elevated. You might want to drive around and say, oh, look at this shopping center. There's plenty of space here, and these stores will be closed. Or, like you said, there's there's areas where there's parking lots, so there's places where you can go that's not a thoroughfare. And Go ahead, Brian. No, go ahead. So I just want to be sure to remind everyone, too, leave early if you're going to an event. You know, typically, you know, yes. I'm a family man as well, you know. and Sometimes a wife takes 
you know, maybe an extra hour getting dressed. Stop telling and, the truth. You know, make plans. Please <laughs> make plans. Get those, get that diaper bag ready. Yep. You know, and take plenty, plenty of water, you know, because it's been hot lately. I know it's Texas and the weather tends to change every five minutes and so, but just like yesterday, it was raining and all of a sudden it got really hot and humid. Take plenty of water and be prepared. Be prepared. And if you leave within a reasonable time, then you can, you know, expect a little bit of traffic along the way. You won't be too stressed out about that. Speaking of being prepared, Chief Martinez, can you talk about the preparation, the extra preparation for you guys this this weekend uh, for the Dallas Fire and how many individuals will be working overtime? Because I want people to respect and honor the first responders who are available. Yeah, we're we're actually going to have significant numbers of people out, more so than we do on any normal day. We're going to have at least – 60 to 70 fire inspectors working with Dallas police officers throughout the entire city. You know, we're going to be working basically out of every substation. So every part of Dallas, we're going to have fire inspectors in that area with Dallas police officers. And we're going to be monitoring for the use of illegal fireworks, the use or possession, because that sometimes it confuses people. They think, okay, well, I can have them and can't use them. You can't have them or use them. So the use or possession is illegal in the city of Dallas of Class C fireworks. So we're going to be out throughout the area. We're going to have uh, people... Pretty much anywhere in the city you can think of, we're going to have people in that area monitoring, and we're going to be looking for the use of illegal fireworks, and it is a Class C misdemeanor. It is a citation up to a fine of potentially $2,000. So it's something that people you know, want to keep in mind that we will confiscate fireworks, and there will be a citation issued. So on top of all the other things we've discussed, that is something people always need to keep in mind, that it is a violation of the fire code. Exactly. We want people to just think a little bit. You know, populations have grown over the years. This isn't like back in the 1970s or the 80s where anything kind of goes open spaces. There's just more to think about. Like I said, I mentioned the animals. I mentioned the children. We mentioned the people who have preconditions. We mentioned even former military who, like I said, you don't want to hear these gunshots going off in the air. You know, there are things you have to think about and there's consequences. And just a reminder of the consequences Sometimes that's the difference between somebody losing their life or winding up in the hospital. Am I wrong, Brian? No, you're absolutely right. You know, those random gunfires during the fire, the sound of fireworks can, you know, trigger something in anything, mm-hmm. really. Um, you have the wildlife, for example. I know at City of Dallas, we don't have much wildlife, but the little wildlife that we do trigger that, maybe a deer or a coyote. How about a pig? Those wild pigs you hear about you in the know, You're right, a wild hog, right? <laughs> a wild pig. It, yeah. might, it might just trigger it and run in the middle of the highway, cause severe accident, little things like that. Um, autistic children, you know, as well. Um, we need to be Consider mm-hmm. it and be cautious about, you know, what our actions can do. Survivors of gun violence, I mean, you could hit lots of individuals with um, just, you know, that little noise alone. So I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the stray animals because, seriously, you never know when you're going to see a bobcat. You never know when you're going <laughs> to see, I mean, a possum or whatever, even a dog or a cat screaming across the road because they heard fireworks, they heard gunfire. And again, those are things that people don't even think about, and that's why we're trying to talk about it on the air today. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, It's not just a simple, oh, they just make it illegal because it might cause a fire. There are numerous reasons why Mm -hmm. we we in Dallas find it illegal, and those are just some. Uh, Chief Martinez, is there anything else you want to let anybody know that that we didn't cover? No, sir. Probably just one extra thing. You know, when we say leave it to professionals, even the people that have had hundreds of hours of training that do this for a living, as far as the ones who put on these these bigger fireworks displays that we see, you know, at the large events, they even have accidents with with these individuals. They even have uh, horror, horror stories themselves of things that have gone wrong. So if the professionals have times where things go wrong and they've gotten injured, it then it makes you really emphasize that the amateurs really need to just leave it to the professionals. Leave it to the professionals. Safety first on the fourth throughout this entire holiday weekend that extends all the way through Tuesday. Uh, Can't thank you enough for joining us. That's Deputy Chief Christopher Martinez of the Dallas Fire Department and Senior Corporal Brian Martinez of the Dallas Police Department. Gentlemen, thanks again, and I appreciate your time. Anytime. Thank you for having me. And joining me now is Adam Lowry, founder and executive director of MoveForHunger.org. MoveForHunger.org provides an innovative solution for reducing hunger by working with local moving companies. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, here in the North Texas area, there are so many people moving to Dallas for worth, and there's a lot of people who are moving around. Home sales are through the roofs down here. 
and I saw what you guys were doing, and I said, we got to get you on the show. Can you tell the listeners right now how you came up with this idea and what you guys are all about? Absolutely. So my family's actually owned a moving company for almost 100 years. My great-grandfather started the company. Um, so growing up, I worked on a moving truck, which I do not recommend to anybody. <laughs> oh, I've done <laughs> but, that too. <laughs> it's hot it's in a, there. It's, a, it's hot in there. It's character building. And, and honestly, I wouldn't have traded the experience for, for anything. Um, I'm, I'm really happy I, I had the opportunity to do that. By the way, so Adam, we, real quick, yeah. I don't know about you, but when I was doing it, I was young. I was like in high school age. Those guys to this day are the strongest people in the world. I'm just, yeah. they just are. I, mean, I don't know how they are able to move the things that they move, <laughs> no matter what the size they are, no matter the age they are. You look at those movers and you're like, you can't pick that up. And then they do. And they know and not, angles. And not, and not only do they do it, but they'll do it like up four flights of stairs. Yes. And you're in, in the heat. And you're like, how? how? I started in middle school. How? And you're just looking at them and they all look larger than life. And they do a really hard job, and they do it well. They do it so well, and they know angles. They know that won't fit through the door. <laughs> yes, this refrigerator will. And they'll open the refrigerator door, and the whole thing will go through a doorway. I'm like, how do they know these things? But they're just – we're going to give props to the movers just right now. We just got to give them Absolutely. their props. <laughs> so you started – your company, your family's owned that moving company forever. Go right ahead. Forever. Uh, almost 100 years at this point. And, you know, if, if you've ever moved, which clearly you have, um, when people move, they throw away a lot of stuff, food, clothing, furniture, you name it. Um, but what bothered us was the perfectly good food that was getting left behind in the pantry or thrown away. And honestly, it's a question that comes up a lot. You know, what, what should we do with this? People feel guilty about throwing away their food. Yeah, they never, um, and nobody thinks about it until you're actually moving. Exactly. And then at that point, it's probably too late because let's face it, moving is stressful and donating your food is probably one of the last things on your list. Mm -hmm. um, it's not that you don't want to do it, but there's a lot of other things that you're thinking about. So we started asking people, um, you know, if they wanted to donate the food when they moved. We figured my family's moving company was there anyway. We'll pick the food up. We're there. And then we'll bring it to our local food bank. And in a month from asking a question, we collected more than 300 pounds of food. Wow. And I, I was really excited because it really showed me that people want to do good. You just have to make it really easy. And when I brought the food to our food bank, um, that's really what I, where I learned about hunger and food insecurity for the first time. Um, and as I did more research, you know, I realized that food insecurity really affects every community across the, the country. Um, in Texas, there's, there's 4 million Texans, including one in four children that go to bed hungry um, each and every night. And you know, there, there's a real opportunity here for, for our partners to be able to educate people about the need and give them simple opportunities to take action. And that's really how Move for Hunger kind of grew. Um, and today we now have a network of more than 1,000 professional moving companies across all 50 states in Canada. Um, you know, in, in Texas, we work with some really incredible uh, companies like um, Imlock and Collins Brothers, Nelson Westerberg, Firefighting's Finest right there in Dallas, Fort Worth area, mm -hmm. North American. These, these guys have been with us for a long time, um, as well as many others. We've got a, a ton of really incredible moving partners in Texas um, that are going out um, and really making the moving process more sustainable, more socially responsible, um, and making it easy for people to do good because that's our goal. You know, people, like you said, hate to move, and that is one of the drawbacks, what to do with all this food, not just the food in the refrigerator, but the food in the pantry, the food on the shelves and the cupboards. You don't want to take it all. You have to sort it all out. When you thought of this, did you have any idea how well it would grow? I saw, So I think, I think when you go into a nonprofit, a lot of people go into the nonprofit because they've got a real passion for the cause. Now, when I started this, I didn't really know much about the cause, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I didn't know what food insecurity was. I was blessed growing up where I did not struggle with food insecurity. Um, I didn't understand food waste either. I mean, 35% of the food produced in the United States um, doesn't get used, doesn't get eaten. Um, that's a crazy amount of food to, to think about, you know, food ending up in the trash. So what we kind of did was take the solutions-based approach to it, and we said, hey, you know what? We have all these moving and transportation resources across the country, and we've, we've certainly expanded beyond that since then. How do we give them purpose? How do we make this part of the process? How do we make it so food recovery happens? It's just the normal thing that happens when people are moving. Mm -hmm. um, 
now I'm certainly incredibly passionate about, <laughs> you know, the cause, but, but I was always, you know, I'd say the thing that's always driven me is like, how do we grow this solution? Um, and today we've delivered more than 23 million pounds of food uh, to food banks and pantries, um, including more than 2 million pounds of food in Texas alone. In Texas, we fed just shy of uh, 1.7 million people. Um, and, you know, we're, we're really excited about that. Absolutely amazing. We're talking with Adam Lowry, the founder and executive director of MoveForHunger.org. Can you talk again about your network of moving companies and how they uh, they let the uh, people who are moving know about the possibility that they can make their food be available for a worthy cause? Absolutely. So, you know, if, if anybody is moving, they can, they can visit our website, moveforhunger.org, and they can click on the Find a Mover button. When you click that, you put in your zip code, and it's going to give you all these vetted professional movers. We only work with professional moving companies. Um, and they, you know, it, it will even show you how much food <laughs> they've been able to deliver to the local food bank. So you can pick also by social impact if that's something you're interested in. Um, and as part of the moving process, this is a service that's offered free of charge. There's no extra cost to do this. So you're uh, saying them, you add an extra truck or tell me what physically would happen if, say, I were to use your service. So if you were to use our service, the moving company would talk about it during the estimate. On moving day, they'd ask you to put your food aside, your non-perishables, any unopened non-perishables that you would like to donate. Um, they'll box it up or maybe you already had it boxed up. They'll bring it back to their warehouse after the move. And then once a month, um, they'll bring it to a local food bank in your community. Um, every one of our moving partners is teamed up with a food bank or pantry. Um, and our moving partners, again, uh, I think last year alone in Texas, delivered more than a half a million pounds of food to food banks across the state. That is so simple. And you're doing such a great thing for a worthy cause. Can we talk about um, getting access to food a lot of people, you mentioned this earlier, you learned a lot about it. Now you're an advocate. When people are homeless, sometimes they're only temporarily homeless. They may be homeless. A whole family could be homeless for a couple of weeks, and they need the food. Can you talk about some situations that you learned about and, and how people don't even know who actually needs food and some people who are embarrassed to actually seek out food? Absolutely. Um, and And I appreciate you bringing up the the homelessness example, because I think that that's the first example that anybody thinks about when they think about who is hungry. It was certainly all I thought about. You know, I, I didn't know who was hungry. Um, and, and certainly the homeless population uh, does deal with food insecurity, but it's not just those that are homeless or those that are jobless. Correct. Um, it is really hard, especially due to the pandemic, <laughs> to, to afford food. Um, there are one in 11 seniors in this country that go to bed hungry each night. There are one in six children, uh, one in four veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Um, you know, uh, African-Americans face food insecurity at twice the rate mm -hmm. um, of their white counterparts. So it really does uh, affect a number of demographics of people. And, and these individuals, um, not just the homeless, these are our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues, and they're making difficult decisions each and every day. Are they going to pay for their mortgage or their car or their health insurance? Um, are they going to put food on the table for, for themselves and their families? Um, these are the struggles that people are, are, are making every single day. Um, and oftentimes, you know, you see single moms working two jobs and still without enough food um, to properly, uh, you know, give themselves and their children, a, a, you know, a nutritious meal. Um, a lot of times kids are, are in school uh, are receiving, you know, could be breakfast before the bell, school lunch programs, uh, which are really integral um, for those, uh, you know, students that are underserved. Um, but oftentimes, some of those school meals might be some of the only meals that those kids are getting during the week. So when the weekends come along, they're, they're hoping that they've got enough to feed them. And then also, when, when school's out for the summer, mm -hmm. which is right now, this is actually the time that most food banks are in need. Most people are struggling during the summer months because you lose some of that school safety net. Um, and I know, I know, we don't often think about hunger in the summertime, um, but we should. I mean, hunger is not just a problem that happens around Thanksgiving and Christmas. I mean, that's, listen, we, we organize a lot of food drives <laughs> at Move for Hunger. We like to make it easy for people to do good. Um, and uh, the majority of our food drives happen during the Thanksgiving holiday. But people are hungry year-round, and we need to make sure that there is an awareness um, that, that hunger is a year-round issue, including uh, the summer months, which is 
certainly one of the more challenging seasons of the year. I'm glad you brought up the summer months because literally I've got um, school-age kids and I know there are challenges with a lot of parents because some parents don't have, they're not at home uh, when the kids are home for the summertime and the kids aren't getting that normal lunchtime lunch that they were getting while they were in school, let alone the kids who were homeschooled during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about the importance of summertime and these different programs and how people can find them online? Or, or if let's say if you're in a situation, and again, a lot of people don't want their coworkers, even though it's a gig economy, they don't want them to know their personal situation. I know your website is absolutely awesome, uh, moveforfood.org. It is absolutely awesome. Could you talk about if you are someone listening to the show perhaps and you were in a tight situation right now and you actually needed some food for your family? If they went to yeah. your website, if they went to your website because they, they're hearing this interview, what could they do? So if, if you you or yourself are struggling with food insecurity or you or your family members, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I always recommend – reaching out to your local food banks and pantries. Yes. Um, our website, moveforhunger.org, uh, is really a great resource for education about the need. Um, you're going to be able to find out, you know, what hunger is by the different demographics. You're going to have information on how you can advocate if you want to organize food drives, fundraisers, and get involved. Um, but for those that are really struggling, your local food bank and your local food pantries honestly, are going to be the best resources for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we partner, uh, you know, really with the majority of food banks and pantries all across the country. And oftentimes, it really isn't just a handout. Um, people think about food banks as just a place that they can go for food. Um, but I can tell you, as someone that has visited uh, with and learned from a lot of food banks, they are so much more than that. Yes. Um, it's not supposed to be a handout. It's supposed to be a temporary, uh, you know, experience uh, that provides dignity and access and choice. Um, in, a, in a lot of cases now, as food banks are, are thinking about how they distribute food and not just giving mm-hmm. you a box, while that still happens, a lot of times we're, they're, they're thinking about um, you know those those opportunities. Um, and beyond that, a lot of food banks offer training, financial literacy courses. They're they're working to again help people get out of that situation of poverty. Hunger is a symptom of poverty. Um, we think of just hunger. You know, you can't just cure hunger by giving people food. We have to get people out of poverty. We have to help people be able to afford all those things that we, we mentioned earlier, you know, a mortgage and health insurance and, you know, your, sure. your car rental or, or whatever it might be and food. Um, the other thing I, w- I would recommend, um, you know, our, our Congress just um, provided some additional assistance for the, the SNAP program. Mm-hmm. Um, people should apply for that. Uh, you know, I know it's not... The, you know the the biggest number in the world in terms of resources, but it is something. So you know if you are in a situation where you are facing food insecurity, definitely reach out to your local food bank or pantry. Definitely uh, take advantage of programs that are out there as our safety nets, including SNAP, um, because those at least can help you mind this gap uh, in this journey that you're in. Um, and hopefully you can get out of it soon enough. You know, so wild, Adam, this is this uh, pandemic has actually opened a lot of people's eyes on things. Um, having not act, not having access to food is not something a lot of people should be embarrassed about. I think it's kind of like mental wellness. People have learned that mental health is something that a lot of people deal with and suffer through, and you want to help them transition. This is an opportunity to transition for some people who don't have the access to the food or are embarrassed to think that I can't afford to take care of my family or some loved ones or some people that I know down the street, even though they have the nice house or, you know, it seems like they're okay. They're not quite okay. So I'm glad you're speaking on this. And again, we're talking with Adam Lowry, the founder and executive director of moveforhunger.org here in Texas back in February. And we've had several food bank organizations on the show before. There was a power outage in the middle of a snowstorm. Electricity grid, you've heard, you've heard the stories, right? Absolutely. And yeah. I've, I've, I heard some of the most unusual stories about food banks and people trying to make ends meet during that, just that, let alone in the middle of a pandemic. That particular situation, that crisis with the power outage, it made a lot of people really self-evaluate where they are and um, who their neighbors are 
what they can do to help, and actually made people more understanding. Can you talk about anything that might have happened uh, with move dot excuse me move for for hunger dot org and and maybe some of the consequences down here in, in Texas with the grid? Absolutely. So um, you know during uh, that. Uh, really challenging time. Mm-hmm. We were trying to figure out what could we do to help. Um, you know, we have opportunities, we have transportation resources, um, and we always want to make sure that we're, we're assisting and we're not just dropping things off. As someone in New Jersey that lived through Hurricane Sandy, everyone and their brother just wanted to keep donating clothing. And at some point it was like, we, we don't need clothes anymore. Please, please stop <laughs> right. sending your clothes. We're good. Um, so, you know, when, when disaster strikes, I always say, you know what, leave it, leave it to the professionals um, and, and understand that recovery takes some time. Um, you know, even if you had food to donate or clothing to donate, they probably didn't need it the immediate next day because they had to make sure that their infrastructure was set up to not only receive but distribute the food. So a lot of this especially in disaster relief, but also just when we think about um, getting food to people in need, it's a lot of logistics. Um, We were very fortunate to be able to uh, work with one of our partners, um, Ward North American, um, and uh, we ended up teaming up with a 7-Eleven actually out there. They're based um, out of Dallas. Based out of Dallas. Mm -hmm. uh, And we're able to pick up 18 pallets um, of water, uh, which we were able to uh, deliver to the Daily Bread Ministries. Um, so, you know, this, this was a really great opportunity of, of collaboration and figuring out, all right, this product was available. It was a little bit difficult to get it moved. Um, th- therein lies, you know, kind of our opportunity with Move for Hunger. We've got those resources, those boots on the ground, um, who are able to go out. They donated their time. They donated their, le- their labor, their truck, their fuel, um, and they got it done. Um, and, and certainly they were in time of crisis, too. This was their city. Um, this is one example Again, we're not a disaster relief organization, but when our communities are struggling, we try our best to step up. And uh, Ward North American certainly stepped up during that time. When you started moveforhunger.org, were there any challenges getting started or getting people involved or proving that this concept should work? So when I started Move for Hunger almost 12 years ago, um, nobody knew who we were, right? I was, right. I was starting a nonprofit. Um, I had quit my job. All my friends thought I was crazy. <laughs> that's, how, um, that's how it starts. Nobody believes in what you're doing. My, my family believed in me, so I give them credit. But I, I moved home for, for that first year, um, moved, moved back with mom and pops. And, uh, you know, I think, I think you, you had to define yourself. You had to prove the model. You had to make it work um, before anyone would actually take you seriously. And we went from one moving company, and then we did a pilot with eight moving companies with Wheaton Worldwide Moving. Um, and then we started bringing on other major van lines and moving associations. We work closely with the Southwest Moving Association out in uh, Texas and work with a number of all the Texas movers out there. Um, we work with Allied and North American and Mayflower. And, um, you know, it's, it's been really exciting to see the growth and the industry really embrace this. And we've then gone and expanded into other industries, um, temporary housing, uh, relocation management. We actually have an incredible um, relocation management company in the Dallas area um, called Altair Global Relocations. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically for big companies that move, uh, you know, their employees um, like like Shell or Facebook. Exxon. Or whatever. Exxon, exactly. I should, uh, let's, let's stick with Dallas companies, right? Yeah, um, I'll just mention them. Amazon's down here now. Yeah, I can go on and on. Major corporations, Frito-Lay. Texas is bringing everybody in. That's why I was Um, saying everybody's moving down here. I'm just like, look at all of these major corporations, Toyota. I'm looking at all the major corporations, and they have jobs, and the people who who have those jobs want homes, or they're moving, or they're coming in. mm -hmm. And like you said, they've got food. They do. They do. And and it's, it's really, it was really important for us to start bringing on relocation management companies like Altair Global, because what happens is then when you have a few hundred or a few thousand employees from a company moving, you're then, then you're able to get Move for Hunger in front of all of them. Mm-hmm. So everybody's got that easy opportunity to donate their food when they move. We made it part of Altair's process, and then in turn it becomes part of a company like Exxon's process. Um, so we're, we're trying to scale the work that we're doing. Um, we're even working with multifamily um, you know, apartment communities. We have 18 yeah. 
hundred apartment communities across the country participating with us, um, which is double the amount that we had last year. Um, and we're doing all sorts of fun things like resident engagement events, but also, again, making move outs more sustainable and socially responsible. And with, with everything, with so much, um, you know, spotlight on the importance of sustainability right now. And I wish this would have been, you know, the case 20 years ago, hmm. but I'm happy that the sustainability movement is happening today. Um, I think it's just a really great and easy opportunity for properties, for movers, for relocation management companies, for corporations to get involved with our programs. Um, because at the end of the day, we want to make it easy and fun to help local communities in need. You know, that's it's so great what you're doing. And I was thinking about all these different things. First of all, your idea for this company was out of the box. This this nonprofit was outside of the box, outside of the norm. And then people had to buy into it and agree with it. And all of a sudden say, hey, wow, this model works. And I, I just realized during the pandemic, there's a lot of companies, a lot of nonprofits that had uh, challenges. But also, I noticed a lot of people learn from these things. And whether the phrase they like to use, they made the pivot so that it worked for everybody that's involved. They had a lot of people working from home. And there's a lot of people right now who are actually enjoying working from home and wanting to work at home at least part-time or maybe full-time in the same company. Can you talk about or have you talked about um, how that has affected what you're doing, the fact that people actually are moving to bigger homes because they need space where they have offices at home now? Absolutely. So, so that affected us in a couple of ways. So, so the first kind of what you're talking about, um, we didn't see it in the middle of the pandemic, but we're seeing it now. This is the busiest moving season I think the industry has ever seen. I mean, like wow. we're talking to companies that have been around for 40, 50, 100 years in some cases, and they're saying they have never been busier because you have all the built up demand of people that were supposed to move last year. And the busy moving season is typically May through August. I'd say busy season started this year in February, and uh, I, I'll be surprised if it stops any time before November um, this year. I mean, you, if, if you haven't booked a mover <laughs> for your summer move, yeah. please book now because it's, it's going to be a challenge for a lot of people. You know what? Um, I, I saw this stat, Adam. I saw this stat. It was a, a newspaper article I read about how many people are quitting their jobs. And that's not a like, oh, my goodness, things are bad. It's like this is a true sign that the economy is rebounding in a major way because people feel comfortable enough to say, you know what, I think I need another job or the other job that I really want. I've been waiting for the pandemic to end so I can go to this other company. And the other companies are paying more or they're adding other benefits, better health insurance, whatever it is. Now is the time. They're making it more accessible. I mean, we went through this with our team, too. I mean, while I certainly miss seeing my, my office family every day, right, mm-hmm. um, we're, we're, we're kind of reimagining what our office space and our culture would be. And right. I think a lot of companies are doing that, too. We got rid of our phone system, invested in some technology. Um, our office is turning into kind of a version of a co-working space for you know, the employees that want to be there. They can be there. If they want to work from home, they can work from home. Some of the more recent job posts that we've made and will continue to make in the future they will most likely be remote roles because, honestly, um, I mean, we've always been an organization that manages, you know, the work that we do across the mm-hmm. U.S. and Canada from our one office in New Jersey. And by the way, there's not a lot of us. There are there are 14 people <laughs> at the organization that are able to oh, uh, wow, manage these amazing. large networks and, and hold organized thousands of food drives and feed millions of people. So we do a lot with a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give you or your listeners the impression that we are this huge multi-million dollar organization. I wish that were the case, but we're not. We're we're trying. We're growing. We're we're trying to be innovative, and and um, I've got an incredible team that just gets it done. Guess what? You're efficient. You're efficient. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be right. When, when, exactly. In this day and age, you have you have little resources. You have little funding, um, but the need is so big that you have to find a way to do more with less. And you know what? You mentioned reimaging, and, and what I've I've learned talking to all these different groups and different nonprofits and different corporations that are taking care of people is nowadays with millennials and Gen Z in particular, you have to be employee friendly. You have to, if you want to maintain the relationships with your employees, if you want to keep the good talent, you have to do things that they want to do because in their, in their mindset, I'm not working a grind. I'm not just working a conveyor belt. 
I want to do something that I enjoy. And if they enjoy working with you, you've got to make it worthwhile. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, I'd say that puts us at a slight advantage or probably many of the nonprofits that you've spoken to. I mean, like, while we are companies, just mm-hmm. like anybody else, um, we have we already have that built in purpose. Um, yes. You know, when, when we're looking at our a pur- a purpose driven life, how many people can we feed? Right. Like that's mm-hmm. one of the big ones. How many meals are we providing each year? I mean, last year we fed five million people or, or I'm sorry, four million people this year. We want to feed five million people. That's that's a pretty big jump um, for a single year, but but we think that we can do it, and that's what we're all working towards. And it feels good when you're able to hit some of those major milestones versus just hitting a sales goal. Nothing wrong with hitting your sales goal, mm-hmm. but we, we, we like we like hitting those milestones that have more purpose to them. Exactly. There's something to be said for that. It makes the people who work with you loyal and make them want to feel like they're doing something with their lives. I love what you guys are doing. Adam Lowry, founder and executive director of moveforhunger.org. Go ahead. The uh, the other thing that you just made me think of too, though, is for those other companies, um, large corporations, um, you know, a lot of them want purpose too. There a lot you of go. CSR programs. Um, and there's a lot of opportunities to, to get involved that way. I think we saw during the pandemic what happened was um, – a lot of the volunteering opportunities disappeared. I mean, I know the food banks felt it because you used to have all these um, volunteers come in and they were sorting food or mm-hmm. managing you know, distribution sites. You couldn't do that safely and effectively due to social distancing Correct. guidelines. So the food banks actually had a pretty big store, uh, shortage of volunteers, and that was, that was true for a number of organizations. Um, but what, what happened was corporate America – um, you had all these people that used to be volunteering once a week, once a quarter, whatever it might be, that disappeared as well. And, and the demand for people that wanted to do good kind of skyrocketed. So I'd say, um, you know, once it started to become safe earlier this spring for people to spread their wings a little bit, um, we, we saw just the number of people signing up to volunteer um, just, just go crazy. Um, our organization put together a number of different virtual opportunities uh, so people could still feel like they had some purpose, even virtually, bringing that experience to their home. Um, we did some virtual trivia nights, for example, where people can learn about mm-hmm. the issues of food insecurity. Um, we're also doing something fun, and, and you know, some companies did it just for them and their employees, so it became almost a team-building opportunity. And now as we move forward, uh, we're thinking about those other larger activations that we have, have always planned and really always executed on. So if there's any companies or corporations um, that have CSR programs or employee engagement um, activations, we'd love to work with them as well um, because, again, we try to find fun, creative ways to engage people that create local impact. And I suggest anyone who wants to learn more about moveforhunger.org, just check out the website. I'm so impressed with your website. I've seen so many nonprofit websites that were nice or they were very, very good or I felt like, oh, if they're only their website had a better presence, people would understand how great of a nonprofit it is. And I also understood where they were as far as being able to afford a website. But you guys' website, I cannot say enough about it. You got all the different pages on it. Find a mover, food drive, fundraise, about the race team, join a campaign, advocate, volunteer, ways to give, learn about hunger facts, hunger and homelessness, food waste, visualizing hunger. These are just some of the things that you guys have on the website. It's, it's a must-go-to, as you just mentioned before, if you wanted to partner with or understand what Move for Hunger is all about. I appreciate that. And, um, you know, I will not take credit for uh, my team's incredible work. <laughs> oh, but you were smart enough to get a team to do that. that. Adam, um, let, me, let me say this real quick. I'm, stu- I'm talking over you, but I want to give you credit for – realizing the value of having someone to do this the right way, because that's your business card. That is the, in the world today, in the 21st century, that is the business card. Because as you mentioned before, during the pandemic, everybody had to stay at home. There was no major social contacting. And so if people were trying to get their business done, they had to see the websites or they had to do the zooms or they had to go to LinkedIn or whatever it was. And so props to you, for understanding this is your reputation right here on this website. Absolutely. I mean, we've, we've always felt that our, our digital presence is incredibly um, important. That spills over into some of our social media pages as well. Um, and for us, it's a lot about 
um, again, providing the easy creative uh, opportunities to take action, but also providing recognition. If you look at our social media channels, you can see some of those companies that are, are giving back and we give props to them too. It's important that everybody um, feel the love mm-hmm. um, for the work that we're doing together. I mean, Move for Hunger is more than just, you know, my small team um, and, and volunteers and interns. Move for Hunger is this network now, you know, a thousand plus movers, 1800 properties, the world's leading relocation management companies coming together and creating a difference in the communities they serve. It is, it is such a, uh, you know, um, it's, it's just really humbling to know that they are as excited about this um, as we are. Adam, it's been a pleasure to allow us to share your story with your company. Thanks again for joining us. Adam Lowry, founder and executive director of MoveForHunger.org, providing an innovation solution for reducing hunger by working with local moving companies and helping residents get involved with communities and Texas food banks. Again, thanks again for joining us, and we want to thank everyone for listening to Better Living. I'm Chris Arnold. Be sure to tune in next week as we highlight other organizations and events happening right here in DFW. So long, everybody.